everybody, and welcome to After the Ninth, the very first episode of the Insider Chuck Wagon podcast. I'm your host, Dayton Sutherland, with my co-host, Cass Patterson. How are you, Cass? I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. Well, I guess uh, we should probably tell people who you are to start off with. I guess so. My name's uh, obviously Dayton Sutherland. Uh, I wanted to start this podcast um, to give people more of a you know, inside scoop on uh, actually what's going on in the chuck wagon, you know, world and industry and uh, a more in-depth look of what's going on during the races, you know, after the races, obviously, um, things like the barrel turns and, and uh, some, some very uh, uh, details uh, of the sport that I'd like to highlight. So uh, we decided to start this podcast and uh, kind of share it with everybody. And I mean, uh, it's going to be rough here to start, but the the unique thing about your perspective, Dayton, is you've grown up with this. This has been your life, kind of, I guess, since you were born. Yeah, no doubt. It's uh, it's going to be, yeah, definitely going to be a bit rough because, uh, like, our, you know, our first guest uh, that we're going to have on is Logan Gorse, and uh, I've never interviewed anybody before, so I don't know how it's uh, how it's going to turn out in the end, but. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, it's all good. Uh, I know a lot of the guys as well that we'll be talking to. I've known them my whole life and stuff. And uh, I just think that there's a lot of um, unique perspectives that uh, people just don't get to to hear or see or uh, whatever in the chuck wagon world. And I just hope that uh, we can, you know, bring that to everybody for everybody to enjoy. I think that we can. And I mean, uh, I'm sure you're going to have some stories that you're able to tell us along the way. Uh, I guess before we head into Logan, let's kind of talk about your season as a driver so far and kind of what you think you've learned. Uh, you decided to take a step back from the WPCA, which for those who don't know is the World Professional Chuck Wagon Association, and uh, you decided to go to a smaller circuit. So kind of as a driver, how are you finding that and like what have you learned from doing that? Yeah, it's definitely uh, different from the WPCA. That's where I've been my uh, whole life. Um, so it's 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 a different, it's a learning curve. It's a different feel. It's a different atmosphere. Um, there's lots of things that have changed for me. But uh, um, the WCA, the Western Chucks, they uh, they run here up in Grand Prairie and uh, a lot of uh, local peace country shows. So, you know, we're never too far away from home. Um, the WPCA is the only association that, uh, you know, tends to travel um, great lengths uh, throughout the season. You know, the CPCA is more based around uh, the Saskatchewan area, and then the WCA is more based around this uh, northern Alberta area. And then the WPCA is the only one that, uh, that uh, you know, goes across provinces and stuff like that. So um, it's definitely a... a bit of a change to just basically stay home all summer and uh, you know travel around up here but uh, it's been good I've been you know breaking lots of horses and uh, and uh, just kind of taking it easy and, and driving some rookies and whatnot and uh, getting a few things done that I want to do this year and uh, yeah we're just taking it uh, one race at a time. Now staying up there you have uh, a unique kind of coach I guess in your corner is what you could call him. Uh, are you getting many tips from your grandpa? 
Yeah, definitely like being up here. I've trained up here even when I was on the WPCA. Uh, I would spring train up here and in the fall when we're breaking horses and everything, uh, you know, at grandpa's place, it's where I keep my horses and stuff and it's where we train or whatever. So um, he's kind of always around, uh, you know, might not always see him, but he's always there anyways. So we're always keeping an eye and, uh, you know, sometimes he might be out in the, I might be out training horses or doing something and you don't even think he's around or knows what you're doing. Then you get a phone call and why are you doing that? So you, you know, he's, you know, give me shit or whatever. So, um, he's always, always, uh, helping out. And I do appreciate, uh, uh, everything that, uh, all the insight and, and all the knowledge. Cause he's just, you know, been doing it for so long. Like he raced for 50 years. So it's just, uh, it's a huge help for me to, um have him around and then it's just an extra bonus that uh he's up here all summer and you know he can watch me drive and stuff and uh even if we are you know at the further shows like uh, we'd go to manning or we'd go to white court um and uh we'll go to dawson creek so um if he doesn't come to the further shows it's always only a you know phone call away so it's uh it's awesome to have him around that's for sure well, that's awesome, and I mean, he, he does have kind of the nickname, the king of chuck wagon racing, and uh, he, he he won uh, Calgary quite a few times, and we're going to be going and talking to Logan here about winning Calgary and that, but uh, I guess my question for you is, do you remember the first time, like, you wanted to drive a chuck wagon? Uh, I don't know if I ever remember the first time, but I always said this. I said it uh, one time when... Um, dad and grandpa used to do like a tv show called half the mile of hell and i believe that's where the phrase came from i don't know i could be wrong it was on oln the outdoor life network or something and uh they asked me the same question when i was really young and i always said i was never gonna i'd never ask if i was gonna chuck wagon race i was always asked when i was gonna chuck wagon race so that's just kind of been how it's you know being for my whole life is that I just never it just never really was a question it's just that was something I was gonna do right so uh, you know ever since I was um, 10 years old or 12 years old it was just um, something that I was gonna do I was out there training horses or or working in the barns or whatever because one I had to learn it all because one day I was you know gonna be driving a chuck wagon so I, I never really had like the first memory obviously when you're a kid uh, you look up to, you know, the people around you and your family and whatnot. And that's what, you know, dad, grandpa, um, you know, Kirk, Mitch, um, and not to mention every single time you'd uh, I'd run into somebody, everybody would be, oh, when are you going to start out riding? When are you going to drive a chalk wagon? You know, so it just, uh, it never, never, never was like a, a question or a thought. It was just something that was going to happen, right? Yeah, I, I, I could uh, kind of understand that. It's almost like this was the family business and it was being handed down to you. Yeah, it's kind of like it just, uh, yeah, no option. It was just held at my ransom, kind of. No, no, it's uh, it's been good. I've been really fortunate to have, um, uh, you know, dad and grandpa uh, help me out and do it and uh, the rest of my family as well. So, um, like, you, you just simply couldn't do it. Uh, without family especially this sport because uh, it's not like hockey or anything where you can you know go to Canadian Tire you can buy a hockey stick and and uh, you can buy a ball and see if your kid likes 
playing hockey and it costs you $30 or whatever, right? Maybe you can rent skates and, and uh, see if you like skating or, or whatever. But chuck wagon racing isn't the same. You can't just, you know, uh, jump on the seat of a chuck wagon and, and drive four thoroughbreds and try and go, you know, around the barrels and do it all safely. Like, it's it's just not like that. You have to be around it for, you know, extended period of time. You have to know... Um, somebody or at least have your own horses to do it with you have to be on a you know safe track a controlled environment like it's just it's just such a such a unique sport the expertise to to be driving the horses and dealing with them is so high because there's nothing really else like it in the world um not to mention you're responsible for the other four horses around you so it's just uh it's just such a, a tough sport to get into and uh if i didn't have my family i definitely wouldn't be be doing it today you know, I that, that's always interesting because, I mean, we grew up in around Calgary, um, at least I did, and you grew up just outside of Calgary. And I, I think the unique thing about where we grew up is you could see truck wagon racing. Like, you could kind of get immersed in it because there's four shows kind of right around here as it is. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we're kind of in a fishbowl, you know, with truck wagons. Like, it's uh, it's kind of just an Alberta special. That's uh, a way a hockey coach of mine uh, introduced at one time as to his uh, girlfriend from New York. She said, you know, what's chuck wagon racing? You just, you just kind of got to see it to, to believe it. You know, it's such a, it's such a, a funny sport. Like, um, you know, who would think that uh, in today's world that people are still, you know, hooking four horses to a chuck wagon and racing around the track. But, uh, you know, obviously – um, we've uh, preserved the heritage and uh, done it for all these years, and now it's actually at quite a professional level, and and uh, and uh, it's it's a you know an actual sport now. So um, yeah, it's it's it's, a, it's in its own element, that's for sure. And uh, you know, I I think that uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan and a little bit of BC are definitely the home to it, that's for sure. I don't know uh, many other places in the world. Um, that do it and uh, certainly not at the level that uh, um, we do it here at. Absolutely. I, I guess uh, we have Logan waiting on the phone for us, so uh, we should uh, just kind of head over there, and uh, I guess he can kind of also weigh in on this conversation. Sounds good. Let's do it. And we're on the phone with Logan Gorth, who has won the GMC Rangeland Derby at the Calgary Stampede. How are you doing today, Logan? Oh, not bad at all. That's awesome. And uh, are you around Calgary still, or did you uh, head home between uh, Stampede and Strathmore here? Uh, last year we headed home, and <clears throat> the flies and the mosquitoes were bothering the horses pretty bad. So we're parked uh, in High River just at the racetrack here, and uh, horses are turned out on grass and, and uh, just enjoying life right now. Hey, it's a good uh, break. Yeah, no, uh, I, I definitely like to be racing. Uh, a break for the horses isn't a bad thing for the family. We get to uh, take them to the lake and uh, do a few other things, so the kids are excited. Absolutely. So uh, I guess we're going to start off by kind of talking stampede here, and uh, I'm going to let Jason take over that part. I guess that kind of uh, already answers my first question was going to be uh, – now that you've got the hundred grand in the bank and the the bronze, I was going to ask if it's uh, above the fireplace yet. Um, no, I sent uh, I sent the bronzes home uh, with some friends, so I didn't ask you 
follow him around in the camper and and a lot of people don't know we actually i just finally got paid the, the hundred thousand uh basically have to wait for all human drug testing and uh, the horse drug, drug testing to clear so everything cleared and uh yeah i finally got my hundred thousand actually last night oh awesome that's awesome um so my first uh uh first thing i thought about was what's it like to win something that um you know great wagon drivers even guys that uh, you know you would look up to uh growing up in the sport and whatnot um you know some of the best wagon drivers around haven't even won the calgary stampede so you know what's it like for you to to take that title and then you know cement your name in uh in the history of chuck wagon racing oh it's obviously a true honor it's uh definitely one of the toughest ones to win like you said, there there's some been some really good wagon drivers that ha- have never won this one. And I'll just use an example. You know, a couple of years ago, I, I had the one barrel in the hundred thousand dollar race. And I I took a barrel, and uh, you know, I was disappointed with myself. But you know, it wasn't the horse's fault. It it was just how the race played out. And you know, I was bummed out that night. The next morning, and and uh, actually, Roger Moore came up to me. And, and he said, hell of a racer, buddy. And, and I said, wow, I, I screwed up. Like, you know, I was down in the guts, you know, the dump, dumpster. And, and uh, he, he said, you know what, kid? He said, there's a lot of guys that have never made it to that race, so you should be pretty proud of yourself. And it, it, it almost, you know, set me back a little bit thinking, you know what? He, he's right. You know, he's been driving, you know, 20, 30 years now and never had the opportunity to win it. So, you know, that, that puts it in perspective. So when I finally got another chance at the one barrel and finish it off, it was, it was almost another, you know, thing in my hat where it's like, uh, you know, it was pretty special. Well, that, that's kind of where I was uh, going with my next question. Like, there's, there's been so many guys that have been tough for, you know, and, and Roger's one of many that have been tough for so long. They've been doing it for, you know, you name it, 20, 30 years. I mean, there's, there's many guys that have never won it. And guys that will go down, you know, in the history and, and, and uh, especially in the wagon community as, uh, you know, pioneers of the sport and whatnot that have never won it. Um, and you've also competed in the dash twice before, have you not? Uh, that was my third dash. That was um, your third dash. Yeah, so I, I had the three barrel, I think, uh, four years ago. You know, I, I didn't expect to win it. Kurt Menzler was the guy to beat. So, you know, I was just, at that point, I was just happy to be in the race. And, and if I was lucky enough to win it, I'd win it. But I knew I wasn't a favorite. The the fall, two years later, I had the one barrel. And, you know, I, I was outrunning Kurt in the semifinals. You know, drawing the one, I kind of got him where I needed to be because he was the guy to beat for, you know, five years there. So it was uh, it was definitely a disappointment when I lost it. But I'm just glad I had another chance to to redeem myself and then going back to there's piles of good wagon drivers, very, very good wagon drivers that have never won it. They just you you definitely need some luck to the sport and uh you just need to get there. Uh, you know, I lost it twice. But if you just keep getting back and keep running tough, uh you just hope eventually it happens. Well that that definitely seems to be the, the key and uh what you're doing so well is uh, the consistency. I mean, it's a 10-day show. It's the biggest show uh, that the WTCA has, and uh, I guess any wagon uh, racing. Um, and, uh, you know, that's something that my grandpa always said, uh, and he had won it, and uh, he always said you just have to be consistent. You just have to be there all the time. And, 
and uh, good things seem to uh, uh, come your way. Um, did the experience help racing in it uh, twice before? Like, was this time any different than the other two? Oh, of course. It was, uh, you know, the first, the first time I got there, you know, you think to yourself, you're, I wasn't really nervous at all until I got up into the fourth furlong. You're sitting there waiting, and then you think to yourself, I just worked, you know, nine years of my life to, to get to where I am now. And, and it was, you know, it was, it was nerve-wracking. Following, you know, the following dash, I was just, it was straight excitement. It was almost, uh, it was almost too, too confident, too much confidence in, in, you know, drawing the one and, you know, thinking I was going to win that race because I finally got Kurt where I, you know, needed to have him was on the two barrel and then it didn't work out. So it was more, it was more humbling too, uh, you know, from the guys talking to me and everything. So this round, you know, I, I just went in there and, you know, I, anything can happen. I just got to make the turn I need to make and, and I'll just let the horses do their thing. Like they're, they're the true athletes of the sport. You, you know how it is, Dayton. We, we more or less guide them along. You know, the more we drive them, the slower you go. Those, those horses are smart. They, they know where they're going. Right. You touched on it uh, just at the start there. You said that's the point where it comes uh, from nine years of hard work. Did, is that what it felt like for you? Like, did you think about, you know, um, even back to the days where you're out riding, you're learning the tricks of the trade, um, you know, to the point where you're breaking your first horses, um, to where you finally have some success in the sport. I mean, it's such a long uh, uh, journey, it seems like, especially nowadays. Um, does it feel like everything's finally paying off, or, you know, does it keep your sanity now that you've uh, won the big one? Oh, yeah, for sure. So this is year 12 for me. So once I, once I finally did it, it was, it was a, a great feeling. And I I had two original horses on there that my my left leader, I had him right from the get-go. I bought him as a five-year-old. He's, uh, you know, he's 17 this year. You know, he was he was with me right from the start. And, uh, you know, I was just finally glad to finally win it with him because he, he is a spectacular horse. But he needed the, the horses around him to make make you good, right? So you only go as fast as your slowest horse. So um, it was definitely special to win it with him. And then, obviously, I had an outright horse also. He, uh, he, I bought him as a three-year-old in Edmonton, and uh, he was amazing. Never, never won a race in his life, and, and I ended up with him. Um, he, he was so slow, so he, he was there from the get-go with me, and then he ended up winning the Equine Award also. So, you know, it was, it was definitely a special Calgary for horses and myself. No kidding. And I don't think people understand how long uh, wagon drivers have these horses for. I mean, like you say, you, you have them for most of their life. You know, sometimes you'll buy a horse off the track as a three-year-old and you'll keep him competing until he's, you know, 18, 19, um, you name it. So um, you also had some uh, equipment errors, it looks like. I mean, I wasn't there. I was racing on a, a another association myself, but during the dash there, uh, just as you guys were coming in, did that make your head spin? Like, did that make you nervous? Or, like, what were your thoughts? Because I've only ever rode in one Calgary dash myself, like, outriding. You can try and act like it's just another race or, or play it all, you know, calm and cool. But it's just not. Like, there, it, there's big money on the line. There's people watching. There's so much stuff going on. So uh, what was that like? And then to get it all sorted out. Well, it was more it was more shock than anything because that right leader that I've had it, this is his sixth year with me. 
he's never he's never kicked in his life and he kind of just jumped up and he jumped over a tug and and uh you know the horse was all right and everything but that horse has never kicked in his life um you know so it was like it was almost a shock like what what what's going on here but i don't know if he, he felt the adrenaline and the crowd you know the excitement to get into a race like that he he jumped over a tug and everybody kind of helped me get him untangled and trotted him around and he looked he looked fine so we hooked him back up and and you can't speak for experience there like uh, you know, a lot of the old left leader, 17 years old, he's just on there watching everything. Like, come on, guys, we're, we're in a race here. Hooked them back up, and uh, as soon as they jumped away, they uh, turned back in, and, you know, their ears perked up, and I thought, okay, we're good. This is this is straight-out experience. So um, as soon as they turned back and, and how they were acting, I knew they were going to go. That's what I was going to ask, if you felt that it was the, the you know, the crowd and the energy um, that would make a horse do that because, like you say, they're 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 all they're also creatures of habit. So uh, the thoroughbred race horses will uh, usually do the same thing every time, and then a horse that um, you've had for so long, and uh, it's unlikely or unusual for him to to act out like that. Um, do you think it's it's part of the the way that horses you know are feeding off uh, emotion and uh, the energy around them? Oh, I definitely think that because uh, that horse is probably one of the nicest, easiest horses to handle. Like, I could give them to my kids and they can lead them out. And when you hook them, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't get excited or nothing. So he obviously felt the, you know, the, the hum or, you know, the excitement to the race. So um, I, I was just more shocked that he actually did it. I've never seen him actually jump up and give a little kick like that. It was almost like a kick of excitement. So... Um, yeah, it's, I don't think he'll ever do it again, which I guess you never know until we get back there. Right. What were the nine days leading up to the uh, dash like for you? Like, did you feel confident winning? Did you think that you were going to take home uh, the bronze? You know, you obviously outran everybody pretty easily in the aggregate. Uh, I just checked, and you had, a, you know, a few-second lead on the next guy. Um, were you excited going into it? Well, you gotta think. I, I wasn't even really the favorite going in. You gotta think of the Pinocchio Stampede Dash. Um, that they right. said that was one of the closest dashes they've had in years. So you know, Mark Sutherland, obviously your dad, he he beat me to four one hundreds. Uh, Kirk Sutherland, he came up the rail, and we actually had a dead heat. So you gotta think three of us, three out of the four were within four one hundreds. So that shows how good those outfits are, and. and you know, Kirk and Mark were, you know, one of the favorites going in also. They didn't have the stampede they wanted, but they're obviously one of the favorites going in. Vern Nolan, he was also in the Pinocchio Dash, first in the world. How do you how do you count a guy out like that? Right. Kirk Benzmiller, he speaks for himself. Four out of five last year, he's won stampede. So thinking I'm one of the favorites, I I I probably was right in the mix with everybody. Thinking I was gonna run him, oh no, there's no way for that. Those guys, there's a lot of wagons that run really tough. So it was just, uh, you know, it was a little bit of luck too. You know, uh, some penalties with some guys, and uh, you know they got knocked out early. I just knew I needed to stay clean, and um, you know the horses never did a thing wrong all ten days. Like it, it's crazy when I think back. Like not one horse took a bad step. You know, didn't turn when they were, not, you know, not supposed to. 
it was it was crazy. There was only probably one mistake on all ten days, and I drove into a hole and I got boxed in one day. And I was thinking to myself, you know, at least it's a driver there. I should have ran the outside. So you think back, how many horses were hooked over the course of ten days, and they never made a mistake, and, and the driver made one, and they still got it done. So it, it's pretty special. I guess the question that I have is, I mean, can you explain the difference between getting up there for accepting the aggregate to accepting the 100,000? Because the aggregate, you have to have great days upon days to earn that that title. Yeah, a lot of people talk about it, right? Uh, all the pressures in the, in the aggregate, right? So winning the, you know, Richard Cosgrave, uh, memorial award it's it, it means a lot to me i i never had the honor to meet him but i definitely know both his sons and whole family so that was a true honor to win it uh, you know for the first part after that into the semis it's you know it's race by race so you know you finally get there now it's just rely on your horses to get you to the end so honestly most of the pressure is is on winning the air you get getting to the top eight from then on it's just great fun. You just turn and you just kind of outrun, you know, four other guys in the semi, and then you go to the hundred thousand, and whatever happens, happens, right? So the the horses got it done for me, and uh, that's that's basically how ten days plays out. What was the uh, celebration like afterwards? It's after a long ten days. Everybody's, um, you know, ready to let loose and whatnot. Did did uh, a lot of the guys stop by and congratulate you? It, it was crazy. I I don't even know a number of how many drivers came in there, but it would have definitely been in the 30s. Um, you know, everybody wants to see somebody new, and it don't matter if it's Chris Flanagan or Danny Rinette or, um, you know, anybody new that wins the hardest show to win. Everybody's happy. Everybody wants to see the money, you know, go, go around everybody. So, it, it, it was crazy the amount of people that stopped by and said good job, um, you know. And, and I'll do the same thing for anybody else. Anybody new, new that wins it, it's it's great because a lot of people think there's a lot of money in this sport, and, and there's not. There truly isn't. It's a sponsorship-driven sport. The prize money is just kind of extras, but this is one of the big extras. So, you know, it's it's pretty special to finally get ahead in life a little bit. Um, obviously, there's there's a lot of cost to going into, you know, maintaining horses, feeding them all winter. A lot of people don't realize what it costs to feed these horses in the winter alone. But, you know, they get turned out and and they just get to be a horse. They're on grass all fall, and between hay bales and oat bales that you buy, that's that's twenty thousand dollars. So you got to think of that. That's you know a fifth, a hundred thousand on one is going straight to feed to maintain these horses. So. Um, you know, it was just uh, it was just a great great memory, and I'll never forget it. That leads me perfectly into my next question: Was that you know how do you spend the hundred big ones? I I know myself uh, how much I spend. You know, even at the small scale I'm doing it with. You know, I only pack twenty horses total uh, around between uh, wagon horses and out riding horses and whatnot. And I'm sure uh, at the level you're at, you know, winning Calgary and you know you're sitting number third in the world right now. Um, you probably have a few more horses than that. So, 
does all that money that you just made go back into the barn? Like, uh, you know, like you said, the sport's so expensive. You're feeding all these horses. You're trying to, you know, keep them at the top shape, uh, keep them at the top performance. You know, you're giving them supplements and whatnot. Um, does it help out a bunch or, or what are your thoughts on that? So uh, <clears throat> there's been quite a few people that have stopped and wanted to see the championship outfit here in High River. Well, they're not even with me. They are at the top spot at the Cooley uh, Ranch. So they earned it, right? They 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 won me a hundred thousand. So I, I sent them to uh, you know a salt bath place. So they're you know they're getting treated and pampered and everything. So um, you know they're not even with me. That was a, definitely a weird feeling. You know, it was suggested by by my vet that I should send them there, and you know they kind of earned it. So it, you know it was a weird feeling watching them you know drive away and, and somebody taking care of them because they they're with us usually 365 days a year so yeah we're spending a little money there just to kind of pamper them and you know kind of say a thank you and obviously anybody that has a life <laughs> when money goes in the bank boy they're they're uh you know spending it on rsps and all kinds of stuff so there's uh there won't be much money at the end by the time we're done with horses and, and taking care of our future right and then brings to mind something like uh kirk won uh kirk sutherland won in uh i just forget the year but uh when he won he got on stage and uh um you couldn't really hear him uh, through the microphone too well but he said something along the lines of um you know i just spent a hundred thousand on horses the other day um and obviously everybody's got different budgets and everybody you know spends different amounts of money just like a salary cap in any other sport um but i just don't think people understand like uh how expensive this this sport is and uh sure the 100,000 is great and uh prize money is great and whatnot but it it really is is a losing game and it just uh it's it's always uh going back into the barn any every cent you make yeah for sure um a lot of people don't realize what we spend on these horses and you know it's for me it's it's close to 150,000 a year to go down the road I'm talking winter in the feed fuel in the trucks maintenance on the trucks hired hands um you know horses vets everything like these horses are looked after every single day so a lot of people don't realize what what kind of money we put back into the sport um Obviously, if if we were making so much money, all of us wouldn't be working in the winter. Well, as soon as I get back, is the first time I'm ever going to be ahead money, and I will be back working at the start of September. It's probably the only bad thing about the sport is 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 having to leave your job, and you know, be lucky enough that a job gives me four months off to come and do the sport I love. So, you know, when they want me back there, I'll be. September 3rd, I'll be back up working in the oil field because that's just what we do. We don't we don't stop and sit around all winter and and uh, you know do nothing. We're back up at work and obviously our wives and hired hands are feeding horses and taking care of them while we're gone, making more money for the family. Right, and, and yeah, no, I'm I'm the exact same way. As soon as you get a chance and you go back and uh, and uh, start bringing the bread home, so you can uh, do it all again next year. Um, what's the next step for you? Just rinse and repeat? Oh, yeah, it sounds easy, but, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, we started Strathmore in, in just over a week here, so, 
uh, like you said, I'm third in the world. Uh, another goal of mine is to win the, win the world. So uh, Vernon only has a bit of a lead, so we'll we'll work on trying to catch him. And then obviously uh, there's the Century Downs finals coming up. Uh, what they've done for the sport is, is absolutely crazy. Is, is We don't have enough money in the sport. So what they're doing is they're putting up enough money that's close to Pinoca. So we got another you know, big show coming. So, you know, there's a couple, you know, big prizes that I'm looking forward to and hopefully I can get uh, close to winning those also. Century Downs has been uh, your sponsor and uh, you just talked about how they are putting money back into the sport. What is it like running for a sponsor that believes in the sport? Well, I think it's it's almost karma. Like what what they've done for the sport to help grow it so now that they've bought me at the sale i i think it's just karma they're, they're doing a good thing for the sport and then all of a sudden lucky enough i'm i'm running tough enough to give them the ex, extra publicity that they need right um paul and the whole crew have, have done great things for the sport not, not just in wagon racing like they, they built the century mile in edmonton first lands was closing you know they stepped up to the plate and and horse racing in general, they've done huge steps. So you got to think of that. It's it's almost karma. It's almost payback for what they've done for, you know, the horse industry in in, in a whole. I'm uh, I'm assuming that you know since you're, it seems like you're having a, a career year, if not uh, very close. Uh, since you are third in the world, you made Pinocchio Dash. Uh, you won Calgary, cleaned up there. Um, it seems like these are going to be some of the best horses you've ever had or, or the strongest barn you've ever had. Um, if you had to pick one horse that was like the absolute difference maker, uh, either on your long or short barrel outfit, uh, meaning the one, two barrel or the three, four barrel outfit, um, who would it be? Like someone you could absolutely not live without. Well, obviously Canadian idol because he's the 17 year old left leader. He, uh, We've kept track of how many game winners I've won over the course of 12 years. He has only not been on there for two of them. So think of that. Every time that horse has been on there, probably 95% of the time, I'm running game winners. So think of that. You know, he's helped make my career. He, you know, at times that I, you know, don't drive the best, he knows where he's going. He, he, He's an absolutely great horse. And, you know, and then people don't realize, they think 17, that's not very old. Well, horse years, that's old. So you got to think, like, they're a thoroughbred will live, live 25 to 30 years old. So he's 17 years old. He's performing at, at like, a 50-year-old man. Mm-hmm. Think of that, at, at a high end. So, you know, it's pretty special. He, you know, everybody knows this horse. So, you know, I've talked about him for years, and hopefully he can uh, live all his years. When he's done racing, he will definitely die on my farm. There's nothing like having those uh, those horses that just do so much for you throughout their lives, and uh, it's just great to, you know, repay them afterwards as well. Eat grass in the pasture and just live out the rest of their lives happy. If you could explain to me, as if I'm someone who's never been around the sport. I've never seen it. I don't know it. All I know is, you know, what's in the media right now. Can you explain why and how these horses love to race? 
well, we still get it with our sponsors, right? So, right. you know, Century, they, they buy the tarp and they bring their clients down. So, you know, they wine and dine them and, and show them the horses. They're, they're the true athletes of the sport. And we get tough questions in the barns also. It's not just with the media. There's there's more media stuff flying around and people just read the paper. Well, I just had a, a lady that just went through my barn. She didn't say nothing to me. She looked at all the horses, fed them carrots, pet them. She come up to me and she says, I owe you an apology. And I'm like, uh, for what? And she says, all I've ever watched is the news. I didn't even want to come here to watch the races. And she says, after seeing how beautiful these horses look, how they act, they're rubbing up against you. They're, you know, they just want to get scratched. They're, she says, I, I feel bad for thinking just reading what's in the media. And I says, perfect. What I need you to do is go and tell your friends what you just experienced here. And she says, well, how, how did you know I had friends that thought the same thing? I said, because we're all in groups. We all have friends. And usually you guys talk about this kind of stuff and think the same thing. So what I need you to do is go back and tell your friends your experience. And she says, not a problem. And she says, I don't understand is how, why, that can't be the same horse that is going out and performing. And I said, oh, they are. Those are, those are the horses you'll see tonight. And she's like, but they're so calm. They're rubbing up against you. And I said, well, I compare it to a dog. Everybody that has a dog at home. He lays on the couch for 23 hours, rubs up against you, you pet him. But what happens when you bring that leash out? As soon as you shake that leash, that dog is jumping up and down because he knows he's going for a walk. Horses are the same way. They're calm as can be. You can walk them around, do whatever you want. But once you put a harness on them, that's their excitement. They're ready to go. So their whole demeanor just changes, just like a dog does when he sees that leash to go for a walk. So once I explained it to her, she was, uh, she was shocked. I said, it needs to come from you, not from me, because I'm biased like other people are biased against the sport. So what I need you to do is take this experience and you need to spread it. And she says, not a problem. So uh, that's all I want to get out to other people is they just need a little more education. They just can't believe what's always in the media. You use the, the word fake news. Well, there's statistics that are behind on how many, you know, bad things happen. The percentage is so low. All they need to go is listen to Kelly Sutherland's, um, you know, radio interview there. He, he, he nailed it. So that's, uh, that's all I really want to comment on is, uh, you know, these horses are, are taken care of and people don't realize the behind the scenes of, of what these horses do and how they're, kept and kept up with every day that's a that's a great analogy uh with the dog and i think you you nailed nailed that right on the head and uh i i feel the exact same way like it seems crazy to me it feels like people just have the absolute wrong idea about the sport and about what we're doing and, and uh, about the horses and everything it just seems like this uh, outrage culture is is taking over and, and i just think that uh, you know i was telling you earlier that's part of the reason why I want to start the podcast. Uh, uh, what we're doing now is to get some of the, you know, news stories out and uh, get some information out uh, rather um, 
on on what it's actually like and, and that these horses love to do it they love to run because you know uh like canadian idol your left leader who's 17 um that horse has to has to love to run because he's been doing it for so long and he's been doing it so good for so long and uh and uh, that's not something that you can teach it's not something that you can um you know break into a horse not even something that you can buy it's just something that uh horses have in them and, uh, and, and, and very few and, and certain ones are, you know, at that level, uh, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, just, just to, in my opinion, these horses are, are uh, you know, absolute superstars and they just uh, uh, love to go out to work every night and love to do what they do. Yep, you pretty well nailed it, buddy. But we need to, we just need to educate more people that, that need to see that kind of stuff. We're, we're biased on one end. You know, the, the PETA people are biased on the other end. It's the people in the middle that, you know, need to see more of this stuff. And I will definitely show anybody, any day, all my horses, I have nothing to hide. I just want to try and educate people a little more. Right, right. And and I and I think there's been other offers like that, too. I mean, I, I just don't know if people don't want to, you know, come and see what's actually going on or, or do the research or what. But... Uh, Hopefully, uh, you know, more guys like you and, uh, you know, there, there were some other guys, um, as well, you know, during all the, all the media during the Calgary stampede and whatnot that was coming out. There's other guys that, you know, were putting their thoughts out there and voicing their opinion. But like you said, uh, we're biased. We're going to be biased because we're in the sport and we're competing. Uh, and, uh, it'd be nice for some other people also to step up and vouch for us. And, uh, you know, if more people could come out and, and see what we're doing, um, the better, so they could uh, uh, see the reality of it all. Um, do you have any thoughts on how we can improve this situation? I know you just kind of touched on it, but um, is, there, is it just getting out more information to the general public on what we're doing? Is it more money into the sport? Is there rule changes? Like, like how do we, you know, get past this? Because it seems to be a reoccurring theme yeah, you know, we haven't had much pressure for quite a few years because nothing has really bad happened for quite a few years. Um, now that something bad happens, everybody throws their hands up in the air and nobody wants to see some of the stuff that happens. It's it's definitely just part of life. People have a tough time accepting it because it's tough to relate it. So I get the same question from some people. Well, you know, if one horse falls down, it pulls the rest of them with them. There's four horses tied together. You guys shouldn't be doing that. So I say, well, what's the difference of me hooking these horses and they are relying on me to go out there and compete and bring them back safely? So what is the difference between myself as a dad? I have three beautiful daughters. They want to go to the Callaway Park. So what am I going to do? I'm going to buckle them into my truck. And they are relying on dad to get them safely from here to the park and back. We are all tied together. We are all buckled into the same truck. So as I drive out here and I go on to the number two and head into the Calgary Park, something they're going to enjoy, just like the horses, and somebody cuts me off and we roll the vehicle. Do you think that guy that actually hit me wanted to hit me and roll my vehicle? with my kids in there where I could hurt them? No. It it is part of it's part of life. So it's hard to explain and it's hard for people to accept it. Those kids, my kids, are expecting me to get them to 
Callaway Park and back safely. And if something was to bad happen, that guy that cut me off or that lady that cut me off, do you think they wanted to do that? So when people are, you know, being hard on, I'm just using the name Chad Hardner, do you think he wanted to make a mistake? No. And it's hard for me because they expect us to be perfect on the track. Well, what is the difference between people that get into a car crash? What's the difference? They, they made a mistake. Nobody wanted that to happen. It's just part of life. So people have to think that, you know, there, there's more than just, you know, thinking that we're never going to make a mistake or a horse is never going to take a bad step. I can walk outside my camper here to my horses and I can step in a gopher hole and twist my ankle. So people have to, you know, really look at the facts of life before, you know, jumping on the whole sport. So I, I hope I gave that analogy correctly and I hope people can listen to that and try and relate it to their whole life. Well, it, exactly. And, and going back to your, uh, you know, Canadian idol horse, um, you know, that's a 17-year-old horse. I mean, these, these horses aren't, aren't necessarily young horses. I mean, I've had horses, uh, you know, pass because of uh, heart attacks or, uh, you know, um, I mean, you name it. It's, 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 and to me, it's the same as a, as a dog. Like, anybody who's had dogs, I'm sure they've had dogs that die. You know what I mean? They are animals. They, they do pass away at certain times in their in their life and some it's at you know the ripe age of 30 years old you know the max life expectancy and uh and sometimes uh these high-strung animals have these uh you know sicknesses or, or whatever um at an earlier age and i and i don't think there's much that you can do about it because uh again they are animals and they are uh livestock it's no different than uh people you know some people live a, a full and healthy life and uh and some people pass away young, you know, reasons that nobody can control. And I, and I don't think people understand that, or at least that it maybe gets blown up uh, so much because uh, for 10 days we are on a world stage. Um, but I, I just think there's, uh, there's certain things that uh, you can't get around because uh, they are living creatures, right? Yeah, they're the same as people, buddy. Um, I, I, lost, I lost an uncle probably four years ago. It's my dad's oldest brother. He was walking up the stairs. He's a, he's a millwright. He was carrying two, two tool pouches. He died of a massive heart attack. When he didn't come back for coffee, they went looking for him. You think he wanted that to happen? No. You know, it's, it's part of life, and, and people just have to put, you know, the horse racing in the same window as, as people. And as soon as you say the same thing to people that, that are against it, they're almost like, yeah, I lost my dad at 50 years old. They can start to to relate to what, you know, happens in horse racing. So I just want to, you know, just keep help, help educate people. So I hope that's, that's a good analogy. Let's just start off with like the first horse that went down due to, uh, due to a heart attack. Um, the driver was able to pull back and he knew that horse well, but with all the media attention that comes with the stampede, does it almost put a strain on the barns and kind of the feeling back there? Like if something does happen, then it's going to blow up to the point that, you know, we have to have these conversations. Well, it's just education. You're talking about Troy Doncaster's horse. Yeah. That horse, yeah, that horse was with them for, I forget what he said, nine or 10 years. 
you should have saw the kids and Jen. They were bawling. That was part of their family. If they weren't that upset, you kind of wonder. But you should have saw it was quiet back there. We lost a member of our family. It was, it's a, it's an eerie feeling. So what Stampede is doing too is they do a full autopsy on that horse. They said he is 100% truly healthy. They don't know why it happened, but they said that horse was in great shape. It's just, it's a bad situation, and it happened. But you want to know how quiet it is back there when, when that stuff happens? People don't realize that. It, it's, it's crazy. So to think that, you know, nobody cares, I mean all 36 drivers care. So you you got to relate to that. Is, is um, driving down the highway, somebody gets in a crash, and somebody is truly injured. Do, do people pull over and see how that person is? Nope. They just keep driving. They're going to their job. They keep carrying on. Well, I can guarantee you 36 wagon drivers are feeling sorry for that horse and that family. So just put that into perspective also. No doubt. Um, I, I, I can't agree with, uh, you know, everything you're saying. And, uh, and uh, it's, uh, it's great that, uh, you know, we can get uh, – not a big deal. Um, the Calgary Stampede champion on to uh, uh, to talk about it. Uh, so uh, I thank you for uh, you know uh, doing this and uh, voicing your opinion and, and uh, speaking your mind. Thank you very much. Thanks, Logan. Yeah, no problem. And that was our interview with Logan Gorse. A huge thank you to Logan for taking time out of his uh, two-week break here and spending time on the phone talking to us about uh, his horses and just kind of the state of chuck wagon racing right now and his opinion on things uh i kind of wish that i uh, could be able to go to the spa after 10 days uh what about you jason would you have done that when you were here yeah no doubt after 10 days in calgary you almost need it that's for sure that's uh, uh a long show it's the biggest show of the year it's 10 days straight it's twice the uh, amount of racing as uh, most other shows so uh all that pavement all that walking the barn chores um yeah no doubt i could i could use a spa for 10 days of that for sure i guess what i find so interesting about logan's uh interview there and the conversation he had is he is really correct on the fact i guess we are kind of biased when it comes to this topic but I, I, I don't know about you, Jason, but I think that bias just comes from I've seen so much of this sport and I see the love that the drivers, the families, everybody puts into the horses that for me, it's, I guess, hard to comprehend that people don't see that. Yeah, well, we definitely are biased because, uh, you know, especially myself, like I'm in competing in the sport of chalk wagon racing. So there's no doubt I'm really biased and, and, uh, you yourself because you're you know working in the media side of the sport but um what gets me is that it just feels like the whole world is just attacking uh you know our crazy little uh little sport of chuck wagon racing you know like it just um i shouldn't say the whole world i mean it's a it's a it's obviously like a, a select group of people um you know a demographic that uh that uh, you know is trying to attack the sport and the integrity of it, but uh, I just feel like um, with that, a lot of people are getting total wrong idea 
um, of what chuck wagon racing is actually all about and uh, that you know and, and and one of the arguments is that you know um, the slaughterhouses and whatnot that these horses would be going to slaughter anyways well I don't actually um, believe in that being you know our argument that uh, you know saying oh well, these horses would go to slaughter if they weren't going to chuck wagon racing well I actually believe that um, this is the best option for these horses period like i think uh, any thoroughbred horse um obviously a thoroughbred's a race horse so they all race um if not they're competing in other ways like jumping or polo or whatever um but all thoroughbred race horses i believe that uh chuck wagon racing is the luckiest place they could wind up i mean these horses are cared for um they're looked after they compete for maybe three so months out of the year um, maybe train a month out of that or, or whatever it is, you know, however guys' schedules are set up. And then the rest of the year they get off. They, they get to relax, get to go out in the pen. A lot of them are on selfie dope. They get to hang out with all their friends and whatnot, just, uh, you know, in the bush and just be horses and then, you know, do it all over again the next year. And it's, uh, it's no secret that these horses live to be, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old and competing at that level. Obviously they live to be 30 or, or uh, however old. But, uh, you know, they compete at that age. So, um, you know, I just think that says something for the sport because um, a lot of uh, horses, especially thoroughbred race horses that are still racing, um, they don't compete that long. And, and there's, you know, I think there's obviously um, a few different reasons why. But uh, I just think that uh, Chuck Wagon Race, a healthy uh, atmosphere for them, and uh, I just, uh, I think people that are attacking it don't uh, fully understand, you know, what's going on. It's no different than in that um, Corbella interview that was on the Calgary Sun. Uh, I shared it on my personal Facebook, or my uh, Chuck Wayne Facebook page, sorry. Um, and the reporters, you know, was surprised at uh, what that sound, you know, the horse was pawing on the, the solid ever. And, and uh, the guy said, oh, well, that's the horse wants to go race and she goes really you know and then um just you know people are surprised by that but i just don't think people understand like uh how much these horses uh you know live for racing you know they're 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 athletes they, they love to compete uh if you took two of them out on a empty track you know with nobody around uh no fans no nothing even no you know no guy no jockey like you name it just two horses and uh, they would compete against each other around the track like they would run around the track or and uh, and race each other like this is what they do it's in their instincts right it's bred into them for hundreds of years and it's just uh it's absolutely what they're all about it's just what they love to do so um i just think people are uh, uh, a little bit miseducated um on you know how great these animals are and uh, what they're all about and i uh, just hope that we as a sport can kind of get that out of there. And I guess that's kind of what we want to do with this podcast is just kind of educate people on that. And I mean, Logan, I think has the best analogy um, about the dog with a leash. I mean, I'm talking with you and my dog's sitting right here, but if I walked downstairs and even went towards her leash, she would lose her mind because she thinks she's going outside for a walk. And I think it's kind of like, that's an instinct for a dog. So hopefully people are going to like kind of hear this and kind of think, okay, that makes sense for an instinct for these thoroughbred horses. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, you know, people don't understand. Like if you, if you turn the thoroughbred horse out in an empty pasture, the first thing that he would do is run to the other side of it. 
you know, he would run around the pasture. He would, you know, check things out. His tail would be in the air. His ears would be up and he'd be, you know, huffing and puffing. And, and uh, that's the first thing that he would do. It's not like, a, you know, lonely old saddle horse that'll just wander out around and kind of eat some grass or whatever, trot around. Or It's just not the, not the type of animal that they are, you know. It's, uh, they're, they're thoroughbred racehorses. It's just what they want to do. And it's like Logan said, it's no different than, um, you know, you taking your dog uh, for a walk. They, they just perk right up as soon as they um, hear the sound of the harness. And, and uh, you know, it's actually a part of a – it goes into the part of a strategy for a lot of drivers when they're getting ready for the race to not bring out the harness, uh, you know, too early or too late. Like you want to bring out the harness at the right time, you know, before a race. So a horse isn't, uh, you know, standing in the stall, working himself up or whatever. Cause they're, they're just like other athletes too, right? Like, you know, um, I've played hockey and, and, uh, played hockey with some guys and, and, uh, before the game, they, you know, could care less they're all relaxed or loose or calm and i've got horses like that and then i've got horses that um if you bring out the harness and uh and uh you know set it behind them or whatever in their stall um they start to stall walk and they start to get nervous and and they just they start anticipating uh the race too much so you know with those types of horses uh, all you do is you just um bring out the harness very late and you just let the horse be calm and and calm cool collected and uh, and uh, the funny thing is about those types of horses is uh, the worst part is, you know, harnessing them or whatever. Not that it's that bad. It's just, the, the, you know, horses moving around a lot and, and uh, he's acting nervous and stuff. But as soon as you brought him out and get him onto the chuck wagon and, uh, you know, hook him up, just completely normal, like 100% um, wants to do what he's doing, drives into the bit, you know, acts aggressive. Uh, you know, tucks his head, starts, you know, make sure the tugs are tight and uh, he's pulling, he's working. And uh, they just, they anticipate the race so much because it's just absolutely what they love to do. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a lot of horses, especially when you bring that harness out. Um, that's the first thing that comes to mind. So I guess uh, you're talking about your horses. Uh, let's kind of give a name to these horses. Uh, I guess we can ask, which is probably your calmest horse right now, but your biggest performer? My calmest horse, but my biggest performer? Um, I don't really have too many calm, calm horses, to be honest. I got a lot of um, problem horses, uh, for lack of a better term. That's kind of what a lot of people will uh, refer to them as. And I, uh, one horse that was came to mind uh, when I was talking about, you know, harnessing later or stuff is uh, Kodiak. Um, he's a horse of mine. He's always, always very, very high strung, you know, high stress, high tense. Um, he just, he washes out before the race, which means he gets really sweaty and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, makes himself super wet and stuff. And he's just, he's just, uh, you know, he doesn't necessarily like people. He doesn't, uh, doesn't want to be anybody's friend. He wants to be left alone. He just wants to be fed. He wants to, you know, be out in the pen with his friends. Then he wants to race, and that's all he wants to do. Uh, and I got a lot of horses that are like that, um, you know, that are that are tougher to handle. They're a little bit tougher to deal with, but uh, all they want to do is just uh, go out there and race. So um, I don't have too many that are that are, you know, super calm. Maybe one comes to mind, which is actually um, funny because it's. Kodiak's friend for those of you that don't know they all have 
um, or most of them anyways, the very few horses won't have a partner in the pen, but uh, for the most part, they all have uh, uh, buddies that they'll travel with and, uh, you know, work off of in the pen and whatnot, you know, so they can uh, eat oats and the other one's watching and protecting them or whatever. So Tango Kodiak's friend is uh, the exact opposite, I guess, of uh, Kodiak. Yeah, he just, he, he couldn't care to do anything. I mean, like, you got to, you know, just pull on him to get him out of the stall in the morning. He moses on out of there, and uh, um, he just, he just, he's so fat right now, too. He's just, I've been feeding him, I haven't been racing that much, and all he wants to do is just sit there and eat and stuff. And then, uh, yeah, so he's just the exact opposite. It's kind of funny that they're even friends. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's a little bit about a couple of the horses I have. I guess uh, next week uh, we can kind of talk about these horses because you said uh, you have some that don't like being around humans. But, I mean, your mom has a good story out there about you and the horses and uh, when you were little and just honestly how gentle these horses are. They're not mean. They're not, like, big beasts. They just are sort of like humans. They have personality. Yeah, you know, and I shouldn't say, you know, they don't want to be around humans. I mean, I got a couple horses that are like that, and, uh, you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, maybe when people like that. Well, yeah, there's, I mean, there's people like that. There's, there's, you know, dogs like that. There's cats like that, or, or whatever. And there's horses like that as well. Um, there's cattle like that. If you've ever been out in a cattle pen, you know, some cows will walk right up to you and, and uh, check you out. And there's some that'll be way in the back of the herd and uh, staying as far away as they can possible so um, it's the same with horses and uh, the great thing about thoroughbreds and and especially as much time as we get to spend with them is that they all have different personalities and uh, that's part of the fun is uh, you know figuring them out and stuff. They almost become your best friends compared to people. Oh absolutely it's no it's no secret like uh, um, you know a lot of PTSD survivors and stuff like that uh, you know come out to ranches and, and work with horses and, and stuff like that there's uh there's been a long long bond between uh, you know man and horse for thousands of years and uh, i don't really know the science behind it but uh, all i know is that humans have been riding horses for a long time they've been looking after uh, each other for uh, thousands of years so i don't know what it is but something well i think that's a good positive note to end on is uh, the relationship between a man and his horse um, I guess for people who want to find out more about uh, you, uh, the horses, truck wagon racing, uh, we have a couple of ways that they can do that. Um, and, I mean, if we can't answer the questions, uh, Dayton has people who can't answer the questions for us. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, what are we going to do? We're going to have some uh, social media sites. We're going to do a Facebook page and an Instagram page, I believe, to start, right? Yeah, we have Facebook after the ninth and Instagram at after the ninth. And then we also have an email, which is after the ninth questions at gmail.com. But thank you, Dayton. Uh, Dayton's out in Grand Prairie right now working on uh, getting ready for this weekend's races. I'm in Calgary, and uh, I guess the next WPCA race is in Strathmore uh, coming up at the end of the month. Yeah, and we uh, should be able to uh, do some reviews of, uh, of that. I um, might have a guest lined up for uh, next week already, so uh, hopefully we can get that 
uh, interview banked. And uh, yeah, we'll just keep on moving. And if you guys have any questions, again, you can find us on Instagram at After the Ninth on Facebook. Uh, and you can also send us an email at After the Ninth Questions at gmail.com. And I'm Cass Patterson. We're with Jason Sutherland. And we will talk to you next week. See you guys. But that's a day in the country.